Hello and welcome to Founders Keepers, the interview series about entrepreneurship and business building from the Leaders Sport Business Podcast. They always used to say that we've all got one book in us. Well, maybe in this modern Stephen Bartlett diary of a CEO, the apprentice era, they should change that to we've all got one business in us. My name is James Emmett, and in this mini-series, I'm going to be interviewing a very special breed of person, the executive who would stake it all to do their own thing. We'll be talking risk and reward, sacrifice and nerve, strategy and decision-making, launches and exit plans, blood, sweat, and maybe even tears. I basically came up with this format to try and find a way to interview our first guest, Gareth Bolch, the co-founder and current CEO of Two Circles, which seems to me to be one of the most strategically built companies in all of sport. Launched in 2011, Two Circles was an agency focused on helping sports rights holders develop direct relationships with fans. Its marketing mandate matched its business plan perfectly, and it very quickly established itself as the data-driven agency in sport. It's gone on to hoover up business across the UK and Europe, and latterly in the US and internationally too, and is a serial winner of the Agency of the Year gong at the Sports Industry Awards. I spoke to Gareth at the beginning of this year, just a day or two after it was announced that Two Circles had acquired Australian digital transformation business Codeware. I wouldn't usually leave it so long between recording and publishing, so we've been in touch with the folks at Two Circles recently to see if anything needs updating, and they sent me the most informative official bio for a CEO that I've ever seen. Some highlights. Gareth Bolch is 40. He looks younger, he sounds older, I think that's fair. He co-founded Two Circles with Matt and Claire Rogan when he was 28, and following a distinguished athletics career in which he represented Great Britain in the 800 metres. Since inception, Two Circles has generated annual revenue and profit growth of 54% and 42% per year on average. It's also been named as one of the fastest growing companies in the Sunday Times 100 for two years in a row, and its global footprint has expanded to 500 people across six cities. Two Circles was acquired first by WPP, the advertising agency giant, in 2015, and then by George Pines Bruin Sports Capital, which took a majority stake for $42 million in December 2019. And since then, Two Circles has made four significant acquisitions to strengthen its rights and sponsorship sales and marketing offerings. First of all, sports rights sales agency TRM Partners, uh, then ticket strategy and sales company Sports Inc., uh, award-winning sports content agency Livewire Sport, and then the aforementioned Australian firm Codeware. Notable success stories include tripling the value of the All Black sponsorship business through partnerships with global brands such as Altrad and Ineos, creating the record-breaking ticketing strategy for The 100 and the UEFA Women's Euro 2022, which more than doubled the previous record attendance for the event, uh, and helping to sell out the 150th Open at St Andrews through a sales strategy that received 1.3 million ticket applications. Two Circles also runs the marketing for the FIFA Plus, NFL Plus and F1 TV OTT services. And with that, let's get going with Gareth. Gareth. 
Uh, Gareth Balch, CEO, co-founder, Two Circles. Thank you very much for being with us today. Gareth, um, how old is Two Circles? Two Circles is 11 and a half years old. Today? Uh, nearly. <laughs> if I could do you a day count. We do count a lot in Two Circles. Uh, it's 11 and, 11 and a half and a little bit years old. Okay. Um, and in your words, what does the company do right now? We do what we've always done, actually. So the answer's been the same throughout. We grow the value of sports, quite simply. We um, and, and all those words are quite purposeful. We, we grow, like we love growing at Two Circles. We grow personally, we grow professionally, and, and ultimately, therefore, we try to grow our industry. And value means lots of different things in sports. It could mean more fans, it could be more engagement, but ultimately, it means more dollar. And that's what we do for our, for our clients, who is the sports industry. We work exclusively and very proudly um, with sports rights owners, holders and broadcasters to help them make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, is that your official title at the moment, Chief Executive and Co-Founder? Uh, yeah, I mean, I sometimes drop the How Co-Founder you, bit, yeah, okay. but Chief Executive when is... You're, um, when you're at your fancy soirees, your 40th birthday parties here, there and everywhere, and people don't know exactly what you do, um, and they say, Gareth, what do you do? Um, what do you tell them? Um, my wife would say that I, I never talk about myself in these situations. So my, uh-huh. my normal lines are flippant. I run around in circles, uh-huh. which is a line I've been using for many a year, many a years before two circles. Yeah, yeah, I run around Deflection in circles. technique. Exactly. Don't talk about my job. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. if someone really pushes me because yeah. they've heard that they can get sports tickets from me, then uh-huh. they um, then I say we, we work with sports leagues, clubs and federations and we help them become more relevant and ultimately um, more prosperous in the world. Mm-hmm. And do you tell them that you run the business? Rarely. Right. Is that a thing? Are you? I guess, are you proud of? Uh, oh, enormously of, proud. Right. Like, off the scale proud. Like, it's, a, it's been a life-changing journey for me and, um, and will forever define my career, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. Let's go back to the beginning then, shall we? Eleven and a half years ago, probably a bit further. Um, talk us through the, the, two, the, the, the genesis story of Two Circles. Um, what was the idea... Whose was it, um, and and what were those first steps? Well, like success has many um, fathers or mothers, I think is the expression. So that lots uh-huh. of people were, were involved in this in this process. But we, um, you know, from my personal perspective, if I'm here today, the um, yeah, I, I I used to be a runner, yeah. and when I was a runner, I always want, knew I wanted to work in sports the rest of my life, and it was quite a simple um, calculation. Yeah, I figured if I worked in sports the rest of my life, I was always going to be happy, and that seemed to make a lot of sense to the sort of young twenty year old me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to work in the sport business. And so I was dreaming and, and um, scheming to think about what that could look like for some time. And um, I was lucky enough after I finished my running career to, to land on two feet at what was then known as Manchester, Manchester City Football Club, now mm-hmm. known as City Football Group. Yep. And it was amazing time. I, I arrived um, just after the current owners arrived and it was you know, hugely transformative and, and the best career journey I could have ever had and, and what, what were you doing there what was all your... sorts actually right. I did everything from um from you know new hospitality lounges like the tunnel club to to new um new international soccer school programs to the digital revolution that was at the time the first club to go onto YouTube and use right. AR and VR and built new membership programs and 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 so sort of in an operational commercial commercial, right. commercial strategy role it okay. was essentially yeah and um and we and we also built a really great data infrastructure you'll be huh. surprised to hear yeah. and um 
and and we help that make more money. And you know, I'm hugely proud that that club's gone from turning over 150 million pounds when I joined to to the to the record um, mm. higher they are today at the top, top of the Deloitte. Top of the Deloitte money. There you are. Yeah. All they ever wanted, I think. They might have wanted to win. Some <laughs> They've trophies. made it. They yeah. wanted to win some trophies too. I think there were some trophies in there. But anyway, my job was to help that journey. So you know, 10, 12 years on, it's hugely hugely amazing to see that happen. And and it was very clear and obvious to me at that time. You know, we went as football clubs do. We went and I talked to other football clubs and said, Hey, we're doing these these data and digital things what are you doing and everyone was like oh I'd love to do that I just can't get my owners to see it and, and yeah, the, the owners at City at the time were enormously visionary and gave us all the leash that we wanted and one might say also the budgets we needed and um, and we did something really amazing and and it became really obvious to me that you know we used to ask uh, some of the more established um providers of services to the sports industry to come in and try and help us with this and 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 they they were still um politely figuring out how to spell data and or digital and these things were you know we were ahead of ourselves so we built a big freelance team and off we went and that, but i think what that taught me was you know that, that that need i saw in other football clubs and that inability for the, to the for the market to be serviced with that need was i think what you call a gap in the market and yeah. there the idea was born and um yeah. and off we went so it gives a sense of the timing of this. We're around 2010 Yeah, we're in like peak Carlos Tevez era. This It's like 2009, 2010. So you're, you're working within Manchester City. You've got a sense of um, a kind of general lack of expertise in the market around the areas that you're working in. Um, you realise that what you're building at City is actually potentially market leading. Um and then you begin to have the sort of first ideas for a business, for building yeah. out a kind of a team of, of freelancers who can work in this area. Yeah. Uh, what was the sort of jumping off point for you? What was the what was the moment when when you thought, yes, I'm going to drop what I'm doing and fully commit to this new idea? So it, yeah, these things are a little while in the making. I um, with my co-founder Matt, we'd we'd spent um, a bunch of time together over the year. This uh, is Matt Rogan. The, that is Matt Rogan, thank you, uh, in the lead up to that. And uh, sat around his kitchen table in Oxfordshire dreaming about building a great business. And, and that was really, you know, if there's, a, there's an original Two Circles business plan and the original kitchen table and, and what you'll read from that is this sense of wanting to build a great business mm-hmm. and, and not wanting to do anything by halves. Um, but the jumping off point, having kind of got to that point, was there was a it's summer 2011 and somewhere on the grapevine we heard that the ECB are looking to do some of the things that we were talking about wanting to do and we reached out to them we didn't know anyone there and and, and had, had done no work in cricket before and, and the ECB were um, brave enough and and um, arguably stupid enough to to um, to back us and and they and they they asked us to come in and help them with this project and that was the jumping off moment that was the point where I turned around to City and said I'm gonna. Right. Um, I'm gonna go this way now. They knew I was, you know, very open at that point, and they knew we were thinking about doing that. And then I yeah. said, "I'm gonna go this way now," and that was off we went. So at this point, you are sort of Rogan and Bulch uh, Enterprises, yes, <laughs> uh, digital consultants almost. Uh, or, no, we, or, were, we were the business. Yeah, right, you were, were the business. There was, there was a short while where we were called something different. Yeah. Um, what were you called? What, did, what was the initial uh, uh, name? Well, the, the initial name. Yeah. I don't know. If I've ever, yeah. The uh, the initial name was Circles Consulting. Okay. So we pitched for the business as Circles Consulting, yeah. and we were very clear we wanted to build a business that was going to change an industry, yeah. and um, and we had that vision really early on. Uh-huh. Uh, we, within about six weeks, we realized that wasn't a very good name, um, 
Drop consultant. Less that, more that Sodexo had a had the rights to the word circles in ah. all professional service related industries globally, and therefore we we thought if we ever get to the point where we pull off our goal here, then we're going to get clobbered by Sodexo when they actually realise what we're doing. So we made the uh, we made the the small pivot, and one night in a Pizza Express near Baker Street, we uh, christened the business two circles, and off we went. And are the other circles in question, you, you and Matt? Ah, well, are they the two pizzas that you were having? Oh, wow, there we are. That's a new one. There's a many a myth about right. where the source of that comes from, and I'll, I'll let that myth continue today. Yeah, one, one could say that Matt, Matt used to play ball sports, or just still does play ball sports, yeah. ten, tennis and football very well. I used to run around in circles, specifically two circles. I used to be an 800 meter runner. Yeah. Um, we also felt like the, the circles of sports and fans was one that was inherently missing in the sports industry. When I first started working in the sports industry, I couldn't believe the amount of which historically sports had essentially outsourced the fan. It was someone else's problem. Sports businesses were B2B businesses. And for me, that struck me as supremely odd in a world that um, the business should revolve entirely around the fan. And if you did that, I, I was totally convinced and continue to be today that you build a better business. And, and clearly the um, ushering in of, of essentially the internet economy that we live in today was was um, was fuel on that fire. So arguably, um, almost philosophically the two circles represent sports and it's fans good it's a good name i think it's i always think you know there's something something in a kind of more mysterious and suggestive name rather than something sort of explicit I, i'm a big yeah. anti um acronym type oh name. Sure, like, yeah. it's like come on we can do better yeah, yeah. three letters come on i think when you i think when you um think about two circles as well you immediately think about sort of a venn diagram and a kind of sweet spot in the middle yeah um, which is good. So th- this ECB contract yes. um, that you guys went for, what were you doing for them? We created something called the Customer Engagement Program okay. at the ECB, and it worked collectively with all the counties, all the first-class counties in cricket, and uh, and the ECB to bring a collective approach to putting the customer, as we called it, at the heart of cricket. Mm-hmm. And that has been the genesis of many, many things thereafter. That's changed the way in which... Um, in the way in which uh, pints are served and the way in which tickets are sold and the way in which experiences are created in cricket and it's been um, it's been a wonderful journey so that is essentially a kind of commercial philosophy right mm-hmm. which is underpinned by a more thorough approach to CRM and kind of understanding your fan, right? Yeah, we don't like CRM very much. Three, three acronyms are never easy, but yeah, absolutely. How, yeah. Do you use, how do you use an understanding of fan? Know fans really well, and data is the best tool to do that, to, yeah. to build an experience that's inherently uh, customer or fan-centric. Um, in the early days, were you doing that on Excel? How are you like? What were you using? What's your sort of chosen software? Well, for those for those Excel geeks out there, they'll yeah. know it wasn't soon after um, we were founded that, or soon before we were founded that, that Microsoft had released the sixty four thousand row issue on Excel, which was radical, A game changer, absolute game changer <laughs> for people in my neck of the woods. What we was are, your favorite feature? Of well, that? I, you know, I need I need a whole podcast for that. I would <laughs> happily do. It's one. It's my favorite. Um, we do. Uh, we do. Your, our, our equivalent of lunch and learn at two circles is called show and go, and it is my favorite lunch and learn is when we do Excel hacks and it just, it just all goes off. Um, yeah, no, no is the short answer, actually. Right. It, was, it was in SQL. But Excel is a fantastic tool on the front end of that to then, yeah. um, to then um, slice and dice and, and deliver things and, and, it, and was one of the radical ways in which we changed how analytics were done in, in sports in that you want commercial marketeers to do the analytics, not the geeks in the dark room. You, you need to put them in the boardroom, as we said, a lot at that time. And that, and that, that was, and it continues to be one of, I think one of the biggest differentiations we do is how do you put the person who understands money and customers with data, and when you get that cocktail right, you get a you get an outstanding result. Mm. 
Um, so the ECB contract was the jumping off point. That was the, the, the moment at which you and Matt thought, yes, we are going to do this. At the same time as kind of servicing that, I presume that you and he are developing your plan to build the business. Did you have an initial kind of mission and uh, like a 10-year plan? In, in 10 years, we want to be a 50 million pound business or whatever. Yes. Right. We're planners. And what was it? We're Whoa. planners. We're planners. Yeah, okay. We're okay. planners. All right. Give us a glimpse of what those early plans were and, and I guess a sense of whether you managed to fulfill those. Yeah, we had lofty goals and then okay. we had quit the uh, quit the dream and get a job goals. And there were kind of two different ends of the spectrum. I, I'm, I'm a big fan that if you're going to start a business, you need to know how you want the story to end because it's really easy to start things in life. You much, much need to know how they want to end. So we had this, we had this bar around um, the quality of the work we were doing and the types of people we were doing it for and how much of that work we were doing that meant yeah. if we weren't above that bar, then we had to quit. Um, we had to go back and tell our wives that we were we were um, quitting this dream that we had and going and getting proper jobs. And yeah. so we had that. We had three year we had a three year bar on those things, and we and we exceeded all those things. Actually, inside eighteen months, it was it was it was a fast start. Uh-huh. Um, we had lofty goals. We, me and Matt, um, continue to be unified in our belief of wanting to build great business, mm-hmm. a great business, one that can you know uh, change people's lives because businesses do change people's lives, and it's a real honour to be in a business because you know, for good or for bad it you know affects people it changes them and, they, and to grow people so we wanted to build a business that we were inherently proud of one that was very people-centric that did amazing work and and if it did all that right then it then it potentially could change an industry and by extension the world and that that is something that continues to drive us today and you'll find those were they weren't as well articulated or as, or as formed as they perhaps are today in our minds but we had this sense of wanting to build a a business based on values that would be um, for the good of sport and not take a value away from sport, which is what I've observed in the in the um, previous eras of sports marketing. Yeah, um, it, it strikes me as a, a sort of outside observer. I was I was working at uh, Sports Pro magazine when you guys set up the business, and and we were very much aware that that was happening. And it seemed like it was an exciting time in general for digital in sport. Digital became the big sort of uh buzzword in the early um 2010s and it, it strikes me and i guess um you would have been working at manchester city at the same time as richard ayres i was me and, who, me, um, and me and uh, the scary red ginger man was uh, yeah, was in full yeah. force at the time yeah uh, so he obviously set up his own agency at similar time he seven did. league literally the same month yeah so it struck me that these two um new interesting exciting successful digital agencies start at the same time but then went on to have quite different growth arcs and it always struck me quite early that you guys seemed to be regardless of the quality of the work that you were both doing and the type of clients that you were serving you seem to be much more planned and ambitious about your organizational growth so there was immediately this sense that you were outgrowing offices, right? You had to you had to move a couple of times because you were hiring people. Uh, quite soon, there was talk of kind of an acquisition or investment into the business. Was this sort of stuff in the in the initial no, uh, uh, plan? No, that that was the color that comes later. Right. I think that, that what there was in the plan was this lofty goal okay. to do something that. Um, that defined a generation. Right. That was there. Yeah. 
that was there. The, the, the colour underneath, I, I didn't... You know, those were just I, circumstantial, yeah, we I, are winning more work, yeah, we need to... Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about pro equity at that point, right. or, you know, as a 20-year-old or something. I, I'd yeah. not, you know, these, these are things we've learned along the way. Yeah. Um, Matt maybe knew a bit more than I did in this regard, but, you know, we've, there's been a deep level of ambition, there's a deep level of organising well. Mm-hmm. Organising well is really important. You can't do something brilliant mm. without, you know, it takes a village is the expression, I think. And so to do that, you've got to organise really well, which means you've got to communicate really well, you've got to create context, you've got to um, give a sense of a vision. And if you can have that vision, then you can achieve more than you ever dreamt of. And we were really clear on those things very early on. And that started to create this momentum. And it was like, wow, this thing is... Um, this is really powerful and 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 with that some of the the things that get written about the press releases come at that point but actually the the source of them is is quite different we weren't by design trying to source investment or acquire things or grow new offices they're just circumstantial along the way right um back to the beginning again and the um the financing of it i think when people start businesses that's obviously you know that's a crucial cog like how are we going to pay ourselves um whoever is starting um and where are we going to get the money to invest in the things that we need to invest in at the outset before we're really making any money what was your what was how how did you cobble together the the money um, we didn't there right. was no money okay. well the money came from our clients if we're honest okay. and um uh we took the decision to sacrifice you know, taking any money out of the company for for a long period of time mm-hmm. um, to to create more space for us to be able to invest in other things. And that in those days, that would have meant other people yep. to, to help to build with our business. And yep. hugely proud of those first ten or so people we brought into the business. So those people have continued to be uh, lifelong friends and teammates at Two Circles Today and shareholders at Two Circles Today. So that's been um, amazing for us. We, uh, we we philosophically believe a great business is one that that generates value for shareholders and doesn't displace the economy by losing too much money that then creates skew whiffs, if you like. Mm-hmm. And so we've been a profitable business every year since we started and been really clear to never make more profit than we need to make enough profit to make sure we're a good business so we reinvest every turn and we did that in the first year and every year after and we essentially self-funded the business by going finding clients who shared in our uh, philosophy of how the world um, is continuing to change and and ask and, and tell them we'll work really hard on their behalf and do great work and make them much more money than they invest in us and and the business was funded via that we took no um we took no seed capital in the business mm. so that ecb uh, contract was really really important they've been very yeah. cricket's been very kind to two circles yeah um what would you consider the kind of the breakthrough success was it the the ecb there's I, I, maybe i think um i don't know no one knew that it was very in you know it was just it, it was just a contract in that moment at the time in in hindsight it looks you know ever ever more significant i think I think there were numerous moments along the way. I think lots of people tell me that the kind of moment we really got put on the map was in April 2014 when um, we were lucky enough to win Agents of the Year at the Sport Industry Awards, which um, was yeah really significant for us at the time. And, and, and people were like, wow, who, who are these lot? And we were a you know, really young business at the time. And it was a, an award that was... Uh, historically kept for much more established and larger businesses than than we were at the time and and so that was really significant as a as a moment of coming out if you like in the industry and we um we bounded up to the stage and and um felt full of pride yeah um in those early state well i guess throughout really it's not easy running a business um how did you and how do you deal with doubt and with um, kind of negativity and I, I guess maybe imposter syndrome that you know you're not the right person to be doing this how do yeah. you deal with with those sort of cocktail of of negative things um 
personally, I deal with them by excluding them. Okay. I have a I have an athlete's mindset. I'm told by others that that I have a single minded focus and and um. Actually, the early years were never in doubt in my mind. We we were we started to succeed and we built for success and we and we went after it. And it's not to say you don't have moments of doubt; that would be irrelevant. But but the ability to compartmentalize those and the ability to be able to put them in a box and say, "I understand that negative self talk isn't going to help me today. I'm going to pull it over there and do that." Was things that I learned really well as an athlete. Being an athlete was, you know, singularly the most foundational thing that happened in my life. And so personally, negativity doesn't help. It doesn't mean you don't need um, paranoia or devil's advocate or constructive challenge they're all different things but but negativity and doubt are a pretty um pretty unhelpful uh, friends in the uh, in the journey to build a business in my point imposter syndrome that lives forever i think but it's no bad thing like the day you know i, I, I use a lot of running metaphors to to think about it the day you turn up for a race and you're not nervous is the day you shouldn't be in the race or the day you turn up to a race and wonder can i do this today is this really who i am again i think is maybe you're not growing and and i'm a big believer in growing i'm a big believer in embracing that positive anxiety if you like and anxiety is increasingly use the word in a negative way but i really don't think it should be i think the ability to believe in yourself to take on bigger challenges and and not know you can do it but go at it like you know you're going to do it that cocktail to use your word is i think really powerful and, and frankly pretty exhilarating um for for our journey it's been if you're not feeling nervous about something then you're at risk of being complacent eh? I, I like literally i um yeah couldn't agree more um so Foundational moments. Um, the jumping off point, ECB 2014 yep. Agency of the Year win. Um, what are the other milestone moments, would you say, in, in the two circles journey? I think there's just been so many. It's been like we have, we have exhilarating days all the time. Most of the time are actually things where we, um, you know, award wins are lovely and they do, they are public and that's partly of building a business. But the best wins are when you see people achieving things they've never done before or clients delivering results out of strategies we've co-created with them and, and they're, they're delivering together. So all, all my thoughts at that point go to client records we broke, you know, and seeing ourselves grow attendance at sports events in the early years and then start to build sponsorship and media deals that have never been concocted in the industry before and be the be the, the eyes and ears behind those when we're starting to put digital assets into into market and generate rights fees no one believed we could do. The rise of women's sport in recent years and be that the Women's World Cup final in 2017 at Lords or the Women's Euros last year, both of which we were lucky enough to be a part of from the Genesis or just the numerous other sports events we've seen go, streaming products we've been working on for six, seven, six or seven years be six or seven times bigger now than when we started working on them these things are these things are all the foundational moments that, that are the things that create the most pride for us as opposed to um as opposed to more public things along the way doing great work that changes the industry and changes the way that those dinner party guests you talked about earlier experience sport and they're like i love the fantasy premier league and you're like yeah we do too we've been working on that for a long time and we love the fact that we hear that enthusiasm come back from them I, you know i think i look back at you know, like the things that I, I love Transworld Sport when I was growing up, right? I loved it. Was like that's why I watched Shuma wrestling, which, which um, you know, it's like these things that make me connect with sports in different ways. And then you know, I look at now the way that my kids and their friends are living with sport, or indeed my dinner party, um, mythical friends you talk about earlier experience of sport. And I think well, I want to change the way we want to change the way they experience sport so that it's um, has a deeper role in their lives. And those are the things that are foundational moments for us. Yeah. So it started with uh, you and Matt, a plan on a kitchen table. Mm -hmm. Eleven and a half years later, 
where are we at now? How how big is Two Circles? Give us a sense of the size and the scale. Well, I still think it's really small relative to how good I think we're going to be. Like getting bigger has never been um, our ambition. Being better has been, but to be better, you need um, to be bigger global reach and, and more people. So we are we're five hundred or over five hundred people small today. All, all, all Two Circles in one team. They're straddled across as of this year. Six offices with Melbourne being the, the most recent addition to that. Um, we service in paying clients. We service at 254 paying clients uh, as of today. However, actually, in terms of clients we work with, it's much greater than that because we're often contracted by a central body like an international federation to work with national federations or a league and their clubs. So we work with over 400 sports organisations uh, in, a, in a client mode mm. is how we work today. Um, very interesting and deliberate use of uh, small there, mm. Gareth. Like that's uh, that's the runner in you, I think. Still determined to to grow and uh, yeah, there's a particular mindset, I think. Um, Five hundred people. Yep. Do you know everyone's name? No. When did that change? When uh, was that moment in the business? COVID was like horrendous. Right. In this <laughs> it like totally ruined us. We, yeah. I, I forget the exact numbers now, but we went into COVID about 100 and something people small and we came out more than double that. Uh-huh. It, it depending on where you conclude the end of COVID to be, but, but, but sort of the end of hard lockdowns. Uh, and it was, it was, it was incredible. I, I, we, the first time we all came back together, I said to, I said to the leadership team, we're going to know everyone's names. We're a company that knows everyone's names. We're going to know everyone's names. And everyone looks at me as like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And I set off on my kind of headmaster mission to go and learn everyone's names and realised it's a hard task. And I've got full admiration for all the headmasters who know a thousand kids' names at the same time. Um, we're, we're not we're not quite there yet today, but we're, we're, we're working through it. We're, our ambition is that you know we, we know everyone. That's a really important part of who we are. But the truth is, I don't know everyone's name in two circles today. What happened then when, you know, because as a leader, I think this is a really important point, isn't it? The way that you communicate with everyone that works in your business Mm. and when you go from that point where you do know everyone you can recognize everyone's face and you can put a name to everyone's face to a point where you don't and you can't yeah you're then in danger of sort of uh almost being in kind of an ivory tower right yeah yeah so have you changed the way that you communicate with the business as a as a leader since that point yeah yeah, yeah. I think we talk a lot about near leadership and far leadership and doing both of them really well. Mm-hmm. And, and naturally, my role has become more far leadership in the context of all two circlers, where, you know, when we were 10 of us in Marley Bone banging around, it was all near leadership and far leadership yeah, wasn't yeah. really a concept that resonated. So for sure, I, my, I, I've often said my role's changed every six months for the last 11 and a half years, and I love it because mm-hmm. I have a high um, high or low boredom threshold. Right. So F, always changing, always staying the same as we talk about. We, we've always cared about people and we should always care about people but the way in which you express that care and the way you do that's really different so like you know to go back to your knowing people's names thing and we it's a good topic in two circles to say i don't think we've i don't think we've had a chance to know each other's name before hi i'm gareth and you do that exchange if you're having a coffee and you don't know the person who is or if you're in the lift all those things where where you take the time to to know that and then and i do my best to try to retain that information and it's okay if i forget it as well and we come back around it's trying to create a um a safe space to communicate and and to get to know each other so you know i, I used to you know interview everyone i've stopped interviewing everyone a long time ago before they joined but i make a point of trying to meet everyone face to face in a one-to-one environment or a small group environment in the first six months of them joining and for me that's a really important part of being grounded because what they tell me about how they see two circles that's the truth like what i think about two circles from an internal perspective is, is long been irrelevant and 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 we have to follow those who have got fresher perspectives insights around how we continue to get better it's less than a month to go until leaders week london the appointment in your diary to drive personal and professional growth in the sports industry 
During the week, Twickenham Stadium will once again play host to the Summit on Wednesday the 18th to Thursday the 19th of October, where over 1,800 stakeholders will gather to explore the latest trends and innovations shaping the sport business landscape. Coca-Cola, FIFA, Chicago Bears, Angel City, European Tour and Disney are just a few of the organisations that you'll see on the speaker lineup, and you could help you spark your organisation's next big idea. Head to leadersinsport.com forward slash leadersweek to find out more about the who, what, where and why of everything happening and to be part of it all in just a few weeks time. Always strikes me that Two Circles has had a probably a successful approach to staff retention and, and, and therefore probably company culture. I know that you guys have always done quite uh, significant kind of away days, mm. kind of all action adventure things. And I certainly know um, that you've paid close attention to sort of company swag mm. over, over the years. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many people on uh, just randomly on tubes, on uh, tube trains, just wearing two circles, you, jackets I, and stuff. I, I love that. It's it, crazy. It, it, <laughs> yeah. we, we do care a lot. We, yeah. we call it stash. You can call it swag. Yeah, yeah. Um, we love stash. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a twice a year ritual to find out what the next stash is going to be. It's twice a year. Is twice, it? a, it's it's twice a year dish outs. Well, there's there's a stash club. Yeah, and there's a and within that there's a stash shop as well. So you can commission smaller items for smaller teams. Right. But the uh, the all two circular dish outs. Uh, 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 some, summer and Christmas all come to get together yeah. great and do you have sort of a president of Stash yeah we've got a Stash captain yeah Stash, Stash captain co-captains at the moment Jimmy right. and Maya are co-captains of the Stash at the moment and okay. uh, doing a great job what's the Stash budget <laughs> oh I can't disclose that information <laughs> well I can say it's a lot cheaper than you think it is actually <laughs> yeah. although all two circles listening please don't ask us to double the budget um, what's it, the best bit of Stash that you oh the, the, there's a for me personally my favourite bit of Stash is the uh, summer 2016 range it's a it's a two circles sort of royal blue half zip top yeah. and it's it's just beautiful it still wears really well today and it's it was yeah it's a lovely it's a lo- it's just all all just very perfect it's my favourite yeah. my yeah. favourite bit only half serious obviously about the stash but it is a you know nice way of inculcating a feeling of belonging mm. I think um, what do you think well firstly do you agree that you've managed to be successful in terms of staff retention and creating a good atmosphere to to work in and how have you managed to do that I will answer the question kind of differently just because it's yeah. part of my personality type I, 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 um, to twist the question <laughs> yeah, I, well I'm hugely proud of it yeah, yeah. Like, off the scale proud of it it's like the single thing I'm most proud of is the friendships we created and the opportunities we create for people to grow and the continual um, desire for people who've come on that journey to want to continue to reinvest in themselves and in our company that it just it humbles me every day that people want to be part of the journey we're going on so I'm hugely proud of it are we successful ah, it, that's that's all about tomorrow right it's only as good as your next game so we're only good if we keep caring about doing it tomorrow and and, and with that our team retention is a data point we care a lot about and it, and it is you know something we we ever striving to make better in in the way that it works so yeah we we we, we care an awful lot about helping our in, our people be as great as they can be and, and we hope that, that means they stay with us and we believe that makes us a better company mm-hmm. i want to talk about um investment and acquisition both inwards and outwards i yep. guess yeah 
you know, two circles over the course of its existence has been busy in that regard. Uh, as far as I can see, um, you've had two significant kind of inward flows of investment, um, WPP and then and then Bruin, and you have acquired any number of businesses mm-hmm. to, to sort of aid growth along the way. You, you refer to the um, Australian office. That was just one. Um, so... Maybe let's deal with buying to build first. How have you sort of approached that philosophically over the over the years? Or clearly, you've got no no barriers to doing it. You're happy to purchase where it makes sense. In, in recent years, yes, we were we were uh, seven eight years old when we did our first one. So right. we were a long time an organically grown business exclusively. Yeah. Um, we in recent years, which which kind of coincides with our with our brewing capital. Um, ownership era is it, absolutely we are a, a business that's you know actively looking to find the right businesses that we can we can combine with to make one plus one equal three and that's you know one of the first things we do when we're thinking about where or how we identify their acquisitions is, is where one plus one equals three and you know the one-on-ones in those scenarios the way we think about it internally is they have to be highly compatible at first so that's about values that's about people that's about outlook that bit needs to be really good and then, and then we need to be able to see a synergy that means that together we can be better and and where we see that being true then then we can um then we can figure something out yeah. and make it work and then we've done that now with real success a few times yeah uh, and is that? Would you say that that is something? Obviously, that's a, a later stage of running the business for you. Is that something that you you're relishing at the moment? Or? I love it. Right. Okay. I love it. It's it's great learning for me. Right. I'd yeah, never yeah. I'd never never run a business before, let alone bought a business. Yeah. And so going through the process of learning how to do that well is is exhilarating. Yeah. It's 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 great fun, and the ability therefore to build and have new business partners has been amazing. Like mm. there's been some personally some of the relationships I've um, built in recent years with those. Um, you know, often founders that we've come together with to build a bigger business together, a better business together, has been brilliant relationships that have really helped me grow as well. So it's been it's been amazing. And now, I guess, I mean, you mentioned it there. It's part of the the brewing ownership era is the kind of buy to grow approach. And I guess you're doing it, um, you know, hand in hand with the guys at Bruin. Talk to us about the WPP and then the the Bruin investment and how it fit into your plan with Matt back in the day you know yeah. did you did you always say we want to get to a point where you know we're cashing we're cashing in at a certain point let's talk about the WPP one first yeah I, guess, I, th- I was... think we knew that we knew that um it's really 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 hard to be a to do the things we want to do in the industry and do it in genuinely independent yeah. people can do it and, and wrestle up to it but it's really 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 hard just stacking the odds against you and we're big believers in stacking the odds in your favor and analytically we ran the numbers and like we thought to have the biggest in impact on the industry we would do that as being part of a collective the sport industry is inherently a inherently this kind of interconnected community that relies on each other and so having connectivity to other businesses would be part of that so we knew that we knew that we were going to find an opportunity to be part of a bigger thing quite early on and, and that was WPP in 2015 and it, and it absolutely gave us presence in the world it gave us connectivity it gave us the ability to to invest uh, more globally until that point we'd, we would have been exclusively a, a, a UK uh, focused business so WPP gave us connectivity to the world it helped us to uh, win higher profile clients than we've been able to do at that point where WPP says had a long-standing relationship with like the IOC and that was that was really significant for us at the time so so these things um this the WP was a was a new stage for us to play on and I think that was really helpful for us to be able to build the impact we could have on the industry and I guess Bruin taking shares off WPP you had less sort of agency in that right that's 
Uh, well, actually, not true. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you want the backstory, uh, but um, no, that was that was all by design. Right. It was all by design. We that, were. That was the plan. That was. Uh, it, uh, it was the plan at the time. It wasn't. Yeah. This, that wasn't necessarily on a spreadsheet several years in yeah. advance. But given the way uh, the world was evolving at that point, it was the ability for us to be at that point in a high growth environment with a different attitude to to risk capital and a different attitude to investment. Mm. A PE environment was much more suited to us at that point than than, than the moment WPP was in as a as mm. a listed company that was having to go through a, a different transition as its as its long-standing founder was coming out of the business and Mark Reed was taking it on to a to a new and a different um, focus. We weren't necessarily uh, really aligned with with what they needed to do so it was it was it was a wonderfully um uh happy partnership and, a, and an amical decision to come to that but it was yeah by by uh, design that we got to that point talk a little bit about the dynamics of the decision making in play that led to that because um yes you're obviously you're taking a huge sort of decision and a huge step in the growth of your business right you are gaining a lot through um through this investment as you say you're sort of you know putting yourself on the global stage you're competing at a level uh you know at a much bigger level you've obviously got a financial investment into the business but you're giving up a bit of the of autonomy right so it's no longer just you and matt you are having you know there are other people in seats around the table suddenly was that a tough sort of did you agonise over that with Matt? How did that how how did that process go? We, we agonised over it for yeah. sure. Yeah, when you say that, when you, the way you phrase the question, it makes me remember that we, we it, was, it actually felt like we were giving up our wives being our bosses for right. Martin Sorrell yeah, being our bosses because yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was a bit of big of us where we yeah, both yeah. felt very accountable to our wives. Yeah. Um, the um, the uh, yeah. You really agonise over it. Yeah, I, I like. Okay, I, I, we've agonised over every decision we've ever made, and and those ones that you know who you put, you know, in your boardroom or in your on your shareholders' table. This is this is um, these are things to agonise over. So yeah, this is something we we spent a lot of time agonising over. On it was really emotional at each moment you do it. Uh, it's emotional moments that am I doing the right decision? Because you recognise these are kind of one way decisions that that can change the plight of the business. So mm. so do it with an awful lot of care. Mm-hmm. And in terms of um, sort of leadership dynamics, mm. Matt no longer has a day-to-day role in the business, right? He'll always be a co-founder, but he doesn't have a day-to-day role. When when did he sort of take a step back? Uh, post WPP, right? Um, and so in, as we as we came into WPP, he yeah he took a different role at that point. Yeah. And have you found? Did you find that what what was expected of you was suddenly different yeah. at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. did you deal with that? Uh, I got a coach. Okay. Uh, good thing to do. Yeah. Um, had lots of mentors. Yeah. Good thing to do. Read a lot. I, I like to read a lot around that. Yeah. Um, seek feedback frequently. I think it's the kind of theme of all that, and something that I was doing a lot during that period. Mm. Um, a bit like parenting. Two Circles has kind of grown uh, steadily. So, like you know, as a parent, I'm, I wouldn't be if you dump my kids on me as as the as the to the person I was the day before my first child arrived I wouldn't have known what to do at all today but you have that ability to learn through doing over that time and so for me there's like this combination of you know deep investment in personal learning and creating a feedback loop that how everyone's going to get better and then this this thing where two circles has grown a bit like a child in that it's grown um steadily and and year by year we've not had you know gigantic leaps to the next level we've had 11 years of consecutive top and bottom almost, line growth almost a teenager though nearly I, a teenager yeah, no, it's, about, it's, a, it's about to get 
get uh, rowdy yeah. around yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, don't know, I think I feel like this combination of feedback loop and learning by doing has helped me um, grow into the role, right? You know, I, when I started the business, I was 20 something and and I had never, like I say, run a business, even, even really uh, had big teams still I managed so it was the, the learning has been continual through that and been yeah amazing mm. do, you, do you still have the coach yes yeah different yeah different coaches different coach. at times yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so what uh, what does the coach help you is it a classic coach do they you know coach you yeah right yeah, yeah exactly on, on anything yeah I mean I'll coach me on I, I guess ultimately uh, leadership and holding you to account you know I think as a in the role I do today, it's, you could you could you could create a position where you have less accountability to yourself. Yeah. You have a lot of a lot of accountability to other people, but less accountability to yourself because it because yeah. you can be quite you can be quite closed about that if you want to be. But well, no, I intended this to happen. Whatever whatever it is that this was at the time, and you know I'm I'm a, I'm a believer in, in trying to have lots of personal accountability. So um, yeah, a coach really helps me stay true to what I said I was going to do and how I was going to do it as much as you know around around those process goals around how you become better and now the outcome's what the outcome is and 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 but the, those having accountability to your own process goals around how you how, how you have self-improvement is important mm-hmm. and you mentioned sort of reading and and constant learning yeah what are your sort of touchstone books that you've read and you know who do you listen to yeah uh, well obviously the leaders but no uh, <laughs> don't say I know, no, I know, that. no indeed, obviously no. yes I, I do uh, i do love a sport business podcast so i'm a big i'm a big podcaster yeah uh, I, I do read a lot less less than a bit used to my kids are in that age where the the the, uh, the holidays are you know you're playing sport with them as opposed yeah. to other things now as they as they get a bit older um yeah I, like some of my 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 favorite all-time books that i that i've actually read several times is maybe a good place to go on this i uh, I love Richard, Brant- Richard Branson's book, Losing My Virginity. It's just an amazing book. Recently uh, brought out a new edition, which I am um, uh, have a new copy at home ready to read. Um, one of my favorite all-time books. I love Shoe Dog. Amazing story. I love... Um, have you seen uh, the, They're Making a Film? Have? Oh, yeah. no, I'm all in on that. I yeah, can't yeah, wait yeah, for yeah. that. I yeah. lo- oh, that sounds amazing. All in on that. I um, I love Michael Payne's Olympic Turnaround book. I think it's a fantastic book. I love uh, Sneaker Wars. Like the, the, these books around the origination of our industry, I think are um, are amazing. Mm-hmm. Going to do a, a bit of a quick fire round, if that's okay, and then um, come back with a few uh, sort of more open ended ones, and then we'll be done, and you'll be released. Thank you. Um, okay, the quick fire round is a game of complete the sentences. Up to you how many words you'd like to use. Um, two circles would never have happened without... Cricket. Say more about, say more about that. ECB, right? ECB. Yeah. Like we, cricket's been brilliant to two circles, and, and I hope we've been brilliant in return, and together we've forged an amazing partnership. And, you know, it is with ECB, but it, but it increasingly is um, with, with the global sport of cricket, and, and it's deep in our veins, and long may that run. And we hope the sport, you know, especially in light of news this week of, of the women's IPL going brilliantly, we think that um, all facets of cricket can grow in the, in the decades ahead. I heard something, and this we may have to edit this out. But I heard that you've worked with um, the Oval and uh, or Surrey County Cricket Club for a long time, maybe since the the very early days. And I heard that within that um, contract, you guys they host two circles once a year, host everyone at two circles once a year, and that's been the early days when you had you know ten people. And that is still the case. Now we, that- <laughs> we, we we definitely don't need to edit this out. We uh, the uh, the issue went out for the uh, 
for the sorry uh the sorry trip this year we we, we had a record subscription we had a it's, it's an optional trip it's you know, we do lots of more mandatory team trips but this yeah, was an entirely yeah. optional trip we're going to the uh we're going to the england women's game at, at sorry this year there were right. 182 circulars took up a ticket within within the first hour Rowdy of the subscription yeah. yeah indeed so we, we we increasingly have our own block yeah at the oval <laughs> and we we thank the oval for, for that and we, yeah we love you know if you get to work in sport you, you should enjoy the product and so we do that the sliding doors moment that could have led to a different path for me was um, choosing to not stay at Man City. It would have been really, um, really forgivable if I'd have stayed. What an amazing journey that's gone on, and and I had I had a role I could have gone on to do there, and I chose not to. That was a that was a decisive decision. Blank keeps me up at night. My kids. My secret talent that not a lot of people know about is. Um, uh, inability to spell. I'm, I'm really, um, I really apologise to everyone. I write poorly uh, worded emails to. I'm, I'm, uh, especially when I'm only half concentrating. I'm particularly illiterate. Deep down, I'm really just a frustrated runner. If a business or life coach guru genie could grant me one wish, it would be. Uh, to learn to spell? No, that's the same as the last one. Uh, yeah, more. I, I wish I could articulate myself better in the written word. This is a frustration of mine. My approach to risk is take it. My dream kitchen cabinet of business advisors would be. I've got to have Sebco in there. There's Sebco in there. If you're going to break the world record for 800 meters and then run businesses and change industries, that's that's very inspirational to me. Uh, you've got to have uh, Jacinda Ahern. She's available. I'd yeah, have, she, I'd have, yeah, I'd have yeah. her in there. I think Although that, I think she's stepping back to spend more time with her family, Gareth. So. Uh, that's what they all say before right. the yeah, yeah. gig. So uh, that suggests to me that she's on the market. So we, we need uh, ferocious female leaders um, all over the world. Uh, Roger Federer learning how to be great that guy just he knew he was great but he looked like he knew he was great before his time and then he grew into his greatness i i, I admire that greatly um martin luther king we've got to represent the world yeah okay quite the kitchen cabinet what would you be serving there uh steak always steak steak um steak but maybe maybe let's go for the environment uh yeah steak steak on a special night's okay it's just yeah. not, not every tuesday night steak red wine and a little bit of sparkling water I'm less sparkling than me. I'm definitely red wine. I go for guy. that. I'm a yeah. flat guy, but yeah. I, I noticed the rise in sparkling water. There's a. It's a sort of. It's a special treat. I think it's a sort of. Uh, you know, it's a little slice of. Um, you know, harmless decadence. I it did. Well, yeah, it did. But like Wyndham Richardson, who recently joined our company, he was it was a, an amazing um, individual. He he drinks like liters of the stuff. Yeah. A day. He's got his own. He's got his own storage cabinet of the stuff in his garage. It's kind of like incredible. Does he? He's good at stifling a burp as well. <laughs> I'll ask him yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the quick fire round. Thank you very much. Um, mistakes, failures, um, etc. What What would you say is the biggest mistake that you've made in the two circles journey, and what 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 have you learned? Um, I I I I, um, I I I might have said this before on record, so apologies if it's repeat, but it is the biggest mistake we ever made, which is in the early years we forgave ourselves for the rush of trying to find good people, um, for allowing ourselves to think it was okay to build a non, uh, non-diverse non workforce. And of our early hires, we worked hard, but not hard enough at, at, at not having a, a predominantly white 
male dominated workforce and um and because we have done such a good job of retaining our team that essentially means we look a bit skewed at particular senior level today and that's something i wish we'd have um, prioritized harder in the early years we made a mistake by thinking it was okay to just be like oh we need them so quickly we just got to hire them immediately so so um that was the biggest mistake we've ever made how do you deal with failure learn from it I I, I I i don't like the word failure i nor i kind of I, it's just all an opportunity to learn i mean there's significant you know, my running career was one constant failure and as a runner you kind of realize this pretty quickly there's always someone quicker than you mm. and you know even if you use him bolt right because you bolt isn't he can't categorically say he's the fastest person to ever live not not in not yes he is in the world record holder but people say but yeah but maybe jesse owens if he'd had the the surface you'd had and the spikes you'd had and the and the training age you'd had maybe he could have beaten you and there's there's this always sense of there's something to chase and i think that's i think that's amazing so the, the, the and you can always get better like i used to spend my life um training really hard like for years every day with complete dedication and i'd rock up and do this thing for less than two minutes that i had to do and i'd walk off the track and i wouldn't have done it as well as i thought and i'd say i'll come back and do it again better next time there's no reason why i should have been able to do it better again next time because it's just spent years trainers do it like what what bit and and, and what what the inherent bit in that to learn is that you're always going to come short of what you want to achieve but you're always going to focus on what you can learn from that and you'll do better next time and if you just sit in that spot forever then um it's pretty amazing in my opinion so how deal failure is is find the learnings and get back on the track and go again quick do you still run now yeah Drop. when do you when do you sort of fit that in saturday and sunday mornings are my rituals no. and then everything beyond that's a bonus that saturday and sunday mornings and i have a ritual to always run wherever i'm traveling i take my trainers and i run in the morning and ideally if i'm at a two circles office somewhere in the world we have a run club and we all run together so yeah. Uh, that's my week how far, how far do you go when you not do? far running for me since I stopped running I liberated myself by losing my stopwatch as soon as I stopped running so I took my stopwatch from heart rate monitors off and all those things in in 2008 when I stopped and I've never put it back on so I never measure how far I go but I yeah I go somewhere like yeah three four miles maybe maybe a bit longer if I'm keen you know you've built a business on the back of um, a data approach you've got rid of all the data in your in your personal running life that tells you a lot yeah <laughs> Uh, I'm interested in this idea of building businesses specifically in sport, right? And I think you're maybe rare in that you are a successful entrepreneur that hasn't started and built lots of businesses. You know, you, you don't necessarily have that bug. You've got your business that you've built. So do you think that you could do it, but in a different industry? And have you thought about that? And what do you think is special about building a business in sport? Great questions. I've rarely thought about the first one, mm. um, but probably yeah. I, I, yes, if we, I, yeah, certainly armed with the experience I've had, I would. I think you could be highly re- replicable in in taking some of the facets of what I've learned and do it in other industries. Yeah. Uh, you know, sport is special in many ways, but completely normal in in many other ways. As as we increasingly learn, as private money starts to come into sport, or, or more institutional money starts to come into sport, it's it's got its idiosyncrasies, but it is inherently a um it's a business model that you can understand and yeah. replicate over time so mm. yeah i think i could do it in other industries if i had to i never will i don't suppose um uh and i appreciate it never is a long time and that's because uh building a business support for me is hugely special and why would i that's like why would i you know if i do get into that dinner table chat we started on then once you get going the ability to 
um, the ability to spend all your days doing this. You see the the wonder in those other people's eyes that they're yeah. stuck there doing things that, frankly, they're not passionate about. And and you and you think, well, oh, that was a good life choice. Work in sport. Work in a sport. If you love sport and you care about um, sport having a bigger and better place at the um, at the dinner table of the world, then I think it's a I think it's a complete privilege. Mm. Um, Gareth, we've reached the end of our allotted time together, so um, just remains for me to to thank you very much indeed uh, for coming on the show, for being the guinea pig. The first this is the first run out for the founders keepers um, questions. Um, we're at the beginning of the day. What's left for you today? Uh, I've got a client call at uh, half ten. Yes, and then I'm... still doing those, are you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Then I've uh, seen a team member who's on maternity leave at eleven uh, to do a keeping in touch moment. Uh, then I have a lunch, and then I have I'm doing um, well, our technology team is all in London okay. this week, and we're running a we're running a huddle this afternoon for them. So we're laying out our investment plans around all the things we're doing to invest in our uh, in our data and digital infrastructure this year. So that's me this afternoon. Fantastic. Gareth Bolch, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.